Every so often you find out that the Powerball is going to be like a billion dollars or something like that. So there's this, you know, the lottery thing that goes on and, and uh, the, the number climbs higher and higher and it gets to be a lot of money. And then when it gets up really high, people start playing it like even more, right? They're like, well, man, like it's the Powerball, 780 million this week. We got we to gotta play this. And so people run out and they buy tickets. Um, but I was looking into it and actually the odds of you winning the Powerball are really low. Like, I don't know if you know that. It's, um, on average, it's one out of 290 million are your chances to win the Powerball. Um, that's really not good. Like the, uh, the odds are really stacked against you to win that thing. It's, it's, it's epically bad odds actually, like mathematically, realistically, whatever. Like it's really bad odds of winning the Powerball and yet people play it all the time. I actually found some statistics. Here are, th- let, me, let me give you a couple things that are more likely to happen to you than you winning the Powerball. So you have a better chance of, number one, being killed by an asteroid strike. It's one in 700,000. I've seen, I've seen numbers that say one in 250,000. And honestly, when I saw that number, I thought, does anyone get killed by an asteroid strike? Does that happen? It happens, guys. It does. I looked it up. This, this does happen. So one in 700,000, um, that could happen. Uh, killed by a lightning strike, one in 164,968. So you're way more likely to be killed by lightning than win the Powerball. Um, killed by drowning, one in 1,113. That's, that's not a lot. Um, and then, uh, really, a great stat here. Being struck by lightning while drowning. Your, your odds of that are one in 183 million, which means you are way more likely for that to happen than you are to win the Powerball. And yet, people keep playing the Powerball. In fact, they, I mean, they do shows. They do, like, reality shows of, like, I won the lottery and it ruined my life. And people are still like, sign me up. Like, let me, you, you, you can't win if you don't play, right? So you go out and you buy that ticket. Why do people do it? I think because we just want more money at the end of the day. Like, we want more. I don't know, you, you could call it greed if you want, but we just want money. And that's the thing with money. No matter how much you have, you always want a little more. When they do statistics, when they run uh, surveys on Americans, they say, how much money do you need at your job, like what, how much income would you need to feel satisfied consistently, um, no matter how much people make, they always say, I want 20% more. They always pick a number that's about 20% more across the board. And when you consider it, the other stat I've heard is that the average American family lives on 117% of their income, then it makes sense that we want 20% more because we're trying to cover that debt that we, that we are incurring. And I think all of that, that desire for more money is a really important thing for us to talk about. Not the money itself, but that desire that's in there because the desire for money is an indicator of our hearts. Um, And I think at the end of the day, what people want is, um, they want to be like rich, you know? Like to enjoy the the, the rich life. And and I get that. Um, I get the desire for that. I I, I get the nice things that money can buy and all that. I understand why we want to do that. But what if I told you you already are rich. Like, isn't that good news? In fact, there's a website, you can look this up later, it's called globalrichlist.com. And what you can do is you go to this website and you, you, you can put in your income and it'll tell you how wealthy you are in the scope of the entire world. So I ran some numbers on it and we'll put them up here for you on the screen. If you make uh, the, the poverty level in America 
for a family of four is $25,750. If you make that amount of money per year, you are the, in the top 1.85% wealthiest people in the world if you're at poverty level in America. So there's 111 million people. You're the 111 millionth richest person in the world if you make 25,000 a year. Uh, I did some other numbers, 50,000. If you make $50,000 a year, uh, you are in the top 0.31% richest people in the world. Uh, you're the 18 millionth richest person in the world, roughly. Okay, uh, bump that up. If you make 100 grand a year, uh, you are in the top 0.08% of income earners in the world. You're in five millionth richest person. And if you go up further, if you make $150,000 a year, you're in the top 0.06% of the world. So all of that, when you look at those numbers, um, basically what that means is you're rich. Like, congratulations. You excited? This is what you found out today. Um, congratulations, guys. You are loaded. Uh, probably, if you're in, you know, in, any, in any of those ranges, um, you make a lot of money, and that's, uh, that's very exciting, but, but here's the problem. You're sitting here thinking, like, I thought being rich was going to feel better than this, you know? Like, I don't feel rich. I feel kind of regular. Um, when I picture me being rich, I thought I was going to be lighting cigars with $100 bills. I thought I was going to be rolling with Jay-Z, and none of that has happened yet, and so it must not be all that great. But I think the real issue there is um, we don't necessarily want to be rich. We want to feel rich. We want that moment where we're like, oh, I, can, I got this. I got, I got money. Plenty of it, right? That's, that's the feeling we want. Do you remember when you got your first job, like in high school or whatever, like you work part-time at whatever fast food? And, and, and before that point, maybe you got allowance. Maybe your parents gave you five bucks a week or something. I don't know, inflation has happened. Now you get like five bucks for a tooth under your pillow. I don't know what happened. I got like a quarter. Um, so maybe you got like some money from allowance, but then you got a paycheck. So you worked a week at a job and you did 20 hours, whatever, and you got your first paycheck and it was like $172 after taxes and all that. And do you remember what that felt like? You felt rich. Like for, for teenage dollars, that's like being a millionaire. You're like, oh, man. I mean, I, I just saw it with my middle son. He just worked uh, a job, started the summer, and he got his first check, and he got his first his payment, and he was like, whoa, and he came home like, dad, you wouldn't believe it. And I'm like, okay, cool, you know. So we remember that feeling. We, we, we want to feel like that. Um, you don't have to necessarily be rich, I guess, but there, there's a sense where we want to we feel that. Um, and, 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 and that's real. Um, because money has a way of going very deep into our feelings, into our heart, and into our soul. And in a country where income on the whole is really high, why are we so stressed out about money? Why do we always feel like we don't have enough? Why are so many relationships blowing up because of money? Well, we're not the first people that have ever had that struggle. That's an ancient struggle. It's written about all over the scripture. Jesus taught on it. I, we, we started the series last week and we were talking about stewardship and the idea that it all belongs to God. And, and we were looking at something Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. I just want to put it uh, back up here for you. Matthew 6, listen to what he said. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And there's this principle from Jesus that your heart is always going to go after your treasure. Where you put money, 
it's like there's a bungee cord attached to your heart. You throw your money over there, your heart will automatically kind of snap in place and go after that thing. And so Jesus says, you need to watch where your money's going because where your money's going, that's where your heart is. And God cares about and, uh, your, your heart. Money is a heart issue. It's a discipleship issue. It's not a, it's not a spreadsheet issue. It's not a wallet issue. It's not a dollars and cents issue. It's not your bank statement issue. Yes, it is those, but greater than that, it's a heart issue. It is a discipleship issue. How you spend your time and how you spend your money is how you are spending your life, moment by moment, dollar by dollar. So I want to talk about how we spend money today. We will, uh, there's basically five things you can do with money, and financial planners have written this out. I, I didn't make this up. Here's, here's the five things you can do with money. Number one, you can save it. We'll talk about that next week. Well, that has its own topic. Uh, you can give it. You can give money away. We'll talk about that in two weeks. Uh, number three, you can pay off debt. Uh, that's something, you know, uh, a lot of money sort of flows to paying off debt. Uh, you can pay taxes. It's not optional. Sorry. Um, but they're going to get their chunk, you know, so you're going to pay taxes with your money. Or you can spend it on lifestyle things. You can buy a, a house or food or whatever. Um, and, and, and that's not bad. I want to talk about sort of the bottom part of, of that list today about how we are spending money. Let's start with... Um, Talking, let's, let's talk about debt. It used to be that it was very difficult, difficult to get into debt, to overextend yourselves, because the options just weren't there for you. If you go back decades in America, you'll see this. There were banks, yes, and they had your money, um, but loans were a little harder to come by. And, 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 you know, it used to be the way that it worked is if you wanted to buy something, you, if you had the money for it, you could buy it. And then if you didn't have the money for it, well, then you're like, well, I guess I just can't buy that thing. And it was really weird, like with the banks, uh, comedian uh, Louis C.K. sort of joked about this. He's like, you know, it used to be before ATMs and all that, you'd have to like go to the bank and try to get money and you'd like, you'd have to talk to like the bank president and they'd have to like write you out a thing that says you can like have your money. And if you went there when the bank was closed, you'd be like, I guess I can't do any more things today because I can't get money. Um, those were the days, right? And, and loans were a little harder to get. Um, that is very much changed. Now we have a little card that you can have in your wallet, um, a credit card, and now it's like, hey, I want to buy that thing, and you're like, I can't afford it, and you're like, I don't care. I'm just going to wave this card, and then I can have it, and it's like amazing, and, and that may seem very simplistic to you, but like in the history of the world, this is a, a fairly unusual thing that we are now doing where we can buy things that we can't afford. And it's actually pretty dangerous. That has been, we've been warned about this forever. King Solomon, a thousand years before Jesus, listen to what he wrote down in Proverbs 22. The rich rules over the poor. Everybody knows that. That's not hard. And then he says this, and the borrower is slave of the lender. Now we read that and we go, that's a little bit harsh. Um, when you borrow money, you're, you're the slave of the person who gave it to you. But literally in that culture, that would be the case. If you borrowed money that you couldn't pay back, you became an indentured servant to that person. I go and become your slave for weeks, months, years until my debt is paid off. That's how they, that's how they would roll. I'd like to think that the credit card system that we have now to borrow money is better than becoming someone's slave. I think that is better. But let's also be honest. When we, when we extend ourselves out financially, 
Don't we in some ways become slaves to the people who are lending us the money, the credit card company? When your paycheck goes to service that debt, when we are constantly falling behind and getting underwater financially and we're having to flow all of this money to, to pay off debt, aren't we in a sense becoming, we're, we're becoming workers who work just to pay that debt? We become, in a sense, slaves to that. Um, it, it's, 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 it's a dangerous thing. I was in the Netherlands a couple weeks ago, and they have um, cigarette packs. And you know how when you buy cigarettes here, there's a warning label on it that says, like, the Surgeon General, you know, cigarettes bad for your health kind of thing? Well, in, I've seen this in other places in Europe. I saw this in, ne- in the Netherlands. The, they don't just have a warning label. They have a photo on the pack of cigarettes of, like, people with mouth cancer. It's gnarly. Like, they get the nastiest photos of people with, like, holes and, like, their teeth are black and whatever. These are the photos on the pack of cigarettes. I'm sure cigarette companies there love putting these on the, on the pack. But it's like, hey, this is really bad for you. This is what's going to happen to you if you, if you use these cigarettes, if you continue to smoke. These terrible things can happen to you. Like, man, they're, they're serious about this over here, you know. They smoke a lot more than we do, so I don't know what that's, what's up with that. Their pictures are clearly not stopping anybody. Um, but it's a weird thing, right? And, and I was wondering about that, and I thought, you know, what if we did that with other things that are dangerous? Like, what if we did that with credit cards? Like, I don't know about you, but, like, apparently, what, what you have, but apparently with your credit card, you can get, like, a photo of your family on there, you know? Like, you get a, here's my credit card, it's a picture of my kids or whatever, like, which is weird because if I really overextend that, I'm, it's like their future, I'm mortgaging away, you know, like, here kids, I just waved your future away, but there was a nice picture of you on it. What if they put pictures on credit cards of what could happen to you if you overextend yourself financially? Do you think that would change how we use them? You know, if, if, if credit cards came with pictures of, like, people lying in gutters <laughs> or whatever, or, like, people working dead-end, multiple dead-end jobs, I don't even know what that looks like in a picture, but, like, all these things that sort of say, like, hey, if you go down this road and you're going to become a slave here to, to the lender, um, I think that, would, that might be helpful. Now, I know some debt is hard to avoid. You buy a house, they're expensive. You get an education, education costs have gone way up. That stuff's expensive. And sometimes you can't get those things without going in, into debt. And I'm not anti all debt. I have just seen enough debt and I've sat with enough families and couples to see that when people overextend themselves financially, it wrecks their relationships with God and with other people. And I've seen the struggle of money uh, just be a wrecking ball through through relationships. And so what do we do with that? Debt is actually a part of a larger conversation, just generally, about how we spend money. Spending. Consumer goods or whatever. How, how we spend. Um, if we don't get a handle on that stuff, we will go into debt and it will cause us all sorts of problems. So the best solution to how you should spend better is this. This is going to sound really basic. Live on a budget. That's it. And you're like, oh, live on a budget, Chris. Like, everybody knows that. Like, that's so obvious. It's not obvious because I talk to adults all the time. This is not something that was necessarily taught in school. I understand that in Virginia schools, they are starting to teach this over the last 10 years. But, man, growing up, we learned, like, the Pythagorean theorem. I did not learn how to budget. I did not learn, you know, budget percentages and and all that kind of stuff. Uh, 
And so we hit adulthood, and we don't know how to do this. And, and, and so the idea of living under these constraints, under a budget, is, is a new thing. Um, but if you live under a budget, it, it's, it's a good thing. And what, the way to think about it with a budget is not how much am I spending in these categories, but what is the percentage of my money that I'm spending in these categories? We'll put it up later. Uh, Dave Ramsey does Financial Peace University. You'll hear more about that in a bit. But he gives a, a sample budget by percentage. So, for example, your housing costs should not be more than 35% of your income. So, when you talk about your rent or your mortgage your, and then utilities and all that put together, it should not exceed 35% of your income. Um, because when it does, it's very stressful. And I've been there. I've had where my housing was almost 50% of my income, and it's extremely stressful to live that way. And so you need to keep it within a certain percentages. And, and when you talk to realtors and you're making money or whatever, and you talk to realtors or whatever, or even lenders, they will give you enough rope to hang yourself with. They'll be like, you should get this house. This is more. And, you, and that percentage will go up. And, and you will be very tempted to push that thing as far as you possibly can. And when you do that, it will be very stressful. And, and, and it will feel um, anxiety. It'll be anxiety producing. Um, I've seen that with not just personal finances, but uh, we even saw that here in the church. A couple years ago, we made the decision to purchase the property. Back in 2016, we made the decision to purchase this property, 2810, the, 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 the property that we own that's a block from here. And as we were looking into doing that, we had a church lender come to us uh, probably that previous summer. And this lender came to us, and they took us out to dinner. And it was really nice. And I'm like, oh, this is nice that they're, they're doing this, you know. Um, and they're like, we think your church is growing. We think good things are happening here. We want to help you purchase property so that you can expand your ministry and reach more people. And I'm like, that's great. Let's reach more people. And, um, and they're like, here, um, and we will give you this amount of money. And it was a lot, a lot of money. And I was like, wow, that's a lot. Like, really? And they're like, yeah, we'll give you that money. You don't even have to put anything down. We'll just give it to you, and then you can just pay us later. And then I saw, like, their percentages of, like, what we were going to pay them later. And I was like, oh, I see why, that, why they paid for the dinner. It was, <laughs> I, I see what they're doing here. And um, it, it was a weird feeling. It was like, uh, I felt like um, Groucho Marx once said, I don't want to be a, a member of any club that would have me as a member. And uh, I was like, yeah, something similar going on. Like, I don't want in this thing. If you think I can afford that, I, I can't. Like, let's not do that. And we ended up, and other people around the church uh, in, in various leadership positions were saying, like, hey, um, pump the brakes on that. Like, don't overextend for this. And so we ended up going with CFR, the lender that we have now, much more conservative lender. And they were like, we're not going to give you all that money. We're only going to give you this amount because that's all we think you can afford. So you're just going to have to make it work. And so we did. And, we, and it, that forced us to live under a budget in, in how we renovated. It, for, it just put us into all sorts of constraints that now we have a lesser amount that we have to pay back and the payments are lower because we, we didn't go get all that we, someone told us that we could have. And I'm happy with what we ended up with. Now, this is true for businesses, churches, organizations, and it is true for personal finances. When you put constraints around yourself, it is actually a helpful and very good thing. Um, and I get why that's hard for us. When you talk about living under a budget, and that's a buzzkill, right? Because when you live under a budget, you have to say things like, hey, guys, we can't afford that today. 
we're not going to be able to go there for dinner. We can't, we don't have that kind of money right now. And that feels like constraints. It feels like a blow to our freedom. Um, but it is a necessary constraint for our wild hearts. I know not having money is very stressful. I have been there and you've maybe been there too. Maybe you're there right now. That can be really stressful. I always think about what Snoop Dogg once said. You don't get a chance to say that in sermons very often, so I had to get that in there. What Snoop Dogg once said, I got my mind on my money and my money on my mind. Um, and I thought, oh, it's just rap or talk or whatever. But then, but then I thought, he's so wise. <laughs> we, need to, we need to have our mind on our money and understand what we're doing with it and be tracking it. In fact, 3,000 years before Snoop Dogg, Solomon said this in Proverbs 27, Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever, and does a crown endure to all generations? What's he talking about there? Flocks and herds, and then he starts talking about riches. Here's the deal. Your flocks and your herds, animals that you own, that's money for you. And he's like, know well how those flocks are doing. You don't have 150 sheep and then lose one and not think that's a big deal. It's a big deal. All of them matter. Know where they're coming in, know where they're going out, know the health and the condition of all of that stuff. Keep track of it. Um, it's, it's, it's important that you, you, you track with it. In a modern day version of that, he would say, is keep your mind on your money and your money on your mind. Understand where it's going. If you don't track your money, if you don't use mint.com or you need a budget app or anything, if you're not tracking that stuff and understanding how much comes in and how much goes out, um, it's going to be trouble for you. So here's why we're talking about this. is because at the end of the day, I don't want you to be like uh, strangled by this. I, it's not about, um, when we talk about money in the church, it's not about something we want from you. It's about something we want for you. We want you to feel a sense of, of freedom. Um, because if you get financially underwater, it's going to feel like being in, in chains. So get on a budget because that can actually be liberating uh, for you. I've experienced that in my personal finances. I've experienced that in my job. I worked at a church about 20 years ago, and it was two years old, this church. It was a new church. And so when, when we're brand new, it's like the Wild West. You're like shooting your guns off, and you're just like, hey, let's just kind of do this, and this is crazy, and let's, you know, whatever. And you have like, don't have year-over-year numbers, and it's hard to track. And so the way budgeting worked, or the way finances worked at the church, I was the youth minister, and I would go to the senior pastor, and I'd be like, I want to spend $80 to buy this thing. And he would be like, okay, and then he'd like look at some numbers, and I don't know if he had like a magic eight ball behind his desk or something, and he's like, yeah, that looks good, I think you can do that, and here's your $80, and then I'd go buy the thing. And that system was fine. As long as I could be convincing, as long as I could like lawyer up, as long as I had a compelling case, here's why we need to spend this money, he would give it to me, and I thought that was great. And then one fall, he said, hey, for next year, we're going to have a budget. I need you to set out budget categories. How much do you want to spend in these areas? We're going to track it to that. And I was like, oh, lame. You're killing the spirit of God in this place. You are putting a budget down for it. Now we're going to have to have spreadsheets and tracking. This is so dumb. I don't want to do it. I like the system that we had where I just asked you and you said yes and I just had to be compelling. It was great. So I put together a budget because I do what I'm told and I put together a budget and I was like we're going to spend this this month and this month and then guess what happened the following year? It was awesome. I just spent whatever was in my budget. I didn't go ask him for anything. I was like 
Oh, I need to buy this thing. We have it in the budget. I'm going to go spend it. And that's the way it worked. Something about having the limits, the constraints of a budget was actually liberating for me. Now, that requires discipline to, to set it and it requires discipline to spend in, and stay within that budget. Um, but the discipline of living within that budget will actually equal freedom for you in the long term and will help you not feel uh, regrets of, of what you've done. Jim Rohn says this, we must all suffer from one of two pains, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. The difference, uh, the difference is uh, pain, uh, what is it, sorry, the discipline of the pain of regret, the difference weighs ounces while regret weighs tons. The, uh, yeah, so discipline weighs ounces while regret weighs tons. Um, and and I've, I've experienced that too. Like regret is a very heavy thing. Discipline is hard in the moment. It doesn't seem pleasant. The scripture says no discipline seems pleasant at the time. Um, but it can really build something for us. So what could you do with financial freedom? If you were living under a budget and, and it opened things up for you, you could save more money. You could stash more money away. We'll talk more about that, that next week. And, and where, when we save money, how, what does that mean about our faith in God? Like, how does that even work? We're going to talk about that next week. Um, you can give more money and be, and be generous. Um, most people I meet either think of themselves as generous or they want to be generous. A need comes up and you want to help. A, a coworker comes to you, says they're on hard times, you want to help. Their niece has got a thing that you want to give towards. You want to support them. A friend says, I'm going on this mission trip. Will you, will you help me? There are needs all around you and you want to help. And if you are financially underwater, you're not going to be able to help. And you don't want to be in that, that spot. It's awful to want to be generous, but you can't do anything because you haven't handled your own money well. So one of the things we have here is called Financial Peace University. It's not our class. It's a Dave Ramsey's class that he teaches. And I want you to meet someone who's gone through that class. Lots of people in the church have gone through the class. I want to bring out here Kira Tanner. Uh, Kira went through Financial Peace University at Area 10 back in uh, 2016. So welcome, Kira. Thank Glad you. you're here. Um, I've known Kira for a long time, you guys. We, uh, before Area 10 even started, before it was even a twinkle in anyone's eye, <laughs> Uh, Kira and I used to sling lattes together back at Starbucks back in the day. Um, and then a couple years later, she started coming to this church. So tell me, tell us a little bit about what was your financial situation when you went into that class in the fall of 2016? Okay. Um, I was a single mother, <clears throat> excuse me, and I was working two jobs and making 25000 total with those two jobs and um, was $30,000 in debt. All of my credit cards were maxed out and I had stopped making my minimum payments because I just couldn't afford them if I wanted to afford everything else. Um, so I felt the weight every day of the, the debt collectors calling and, you know, hey, you're not paying. Um, and it was just really, really hopeless and really dire and I truly didn't know how I was going to continue on this way. I felt like at any moment, the bottom was just going to fall out completely, and I, was, I, did, I didn't want that for my son specifically. For me, whatever, I could struggle, but for him, I didn't want him to, to have to struggle. Um, so I was, I was pretty just like, what is going to happen? I need something to change. I wrote down every week on the prayer card, please pray for my financial situation. Something's got to change. Something's got to give. And um, realized later that Financial Peace University was the answer to that prayer. 
Because mm. you were thinking like someone's going to give me a better job or I'm yeah. going to hit the Powerball or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, but, but it, it ended up being you jumped into that class. Yeah. What did you learn in that class that was a difference maker for you? The biggest thing was the, the budget. Um, really sitting down and, and putting down to paper or app. There's a every dollar app that Dave Ramsey has <laughs> um, that I used every month and I had categories and said, okay, this is how much this bill costs or this, I'm only putting this much amount in for this thing and really sticking to it. It didn't, I didn't snap my fingers and I was a changed woman. I mean, it took months to kind of really tailor in on the spending, you know, like, but once you, once you buckle down and are disciplined about it, you realize that there is extra money. There is money sitting around that maybe you were just mindlessly spending. And once I was able to do that and see like, oh, I have this extra $20 that I can chuck towards a, a debt. Um, just getting, that just really got my sales going. And like, wow, there is extra money. I can't believe it. And it was exciting to see that it was there. It just took the discipline of me finding it and not just blowing it and spending it on whatever I may have wanted. And another thing coupled with that is um, I just started selling stuff. Um, I looked at my apartment one day and just kind of looked around the room and there was a chair that I loved. It was a satellite chair. It was so cool. Um, but we never sat in it because anytime my son tried to sit in it, he couldn't get right in the center where you had to sit and he'd fall off of it. So it just started, we just put, started putting stuff there. So it was just a thing holding our things. Um, so I sold it. And making the money from that and being able to put that towards my debts was just like, all right, what else do we have here that we can sell? Dave Ramsey jokes, you know, like sell so much stuff, the kids think they're next. And my son may have thought that that was coming. He was like, mom, what are we selling now? Um, but really just buckling down on the budget and sticking to it, as well as finding things that I had but didn't really need helped me not spend mindlessly on things that I didn't need when I was willing to sell things to get more money to pay off the debts. Mm. So bo both sides, you're, you're tracking money better. Yes. Um, not necessarily like an immediate improvement in income necessarily, but you're tracking money better and you're selling things. And, and I think Ramsey says it's, it's, like, it's like giving yourself a raise when you actually start tracking, right? Yeah, like absolutely. And another thing too with that, with selling was my, a big, the, I think the thing that really tipped the scale for me was I finally sold my car. It was a $500 a month car payment, um, but I couldn't figure out how to get out from under it. it was my main reason I hadn't sold it, but it worked itself out to be able to sell it, and I drove a beater car, and um, as Dave Ramsey would call it, um, and it was just a constant reminder. It had no radio and no air conditioning, y'all, in the summer. So if you want to feel what hard work and perseverance feels mm -hmm. like, drive home today without your air conditioning on mm -hmm. and... It was just a constant reminder of why I'm doing this and to keep pushing forward. And then 14 months later, I was able to pay off the $30,000 in debt um, by, wow. by sticking to the budget and by really, really like just honing in. Wow, that's, that's incredible. So what, yeah, that's cool. That's super cool. <laughs> if, you ever, if you ever listen to Dave Ramsey's like podcast and stuff, people call in and they scream into the phone, I'm debt free mm -hmm. or whatever. Did you ever call in and scream? We haven't, but my son, we were at a gas station one time and just rolled down the window. He said, we're debt free. <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes. Yeah. That's so good. All right. So what does the, what does that feel like now? What is the, how, what is the freedom like now? It's incredible. I wish that I could just bottle up and give it to everyone. Um, I feel so much hope. It's incredible to go from really, really completely